0: Do. different people really have some skill in telling a story and they just make you just sort of visualize what they're talking about. Over the years, one of the kind of things that's become sort of popular is storytelling festivals and they'll get a whole bunch of people together to tell stories. Even here at our Mule Day celebration in Columbia, there's a storytelling uh, competition. To see who can do the best job. I tell you, a good storyteller can actually make you see in your mind's eye what they're talking about and the scene that they are describing. I suggest to you that the Bible is a great storytelling book. It tells powerful stories and it tells them in such a way that you can really visualize the kind of things that are being described. And one of the places uh, in the Bible that describes things in such graphic language is the book of Revelation. We can really develop some mental pictures of the things that are described in the book of Revelation. We know that it's a highly figurative book and that there are many symbols and signs which are described there. And we can, if we work hard, we can try to visualize those things in our minds. One of the most literal kind of scenes described in the book of Revelation is described in the first chapter. In Revelation chapter 1, beginning verse 12, John says, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. And so John, in this amazing vision that he had, is telling us of what he saw. And you can sort of picture an image like the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus walking among candlesticks, among seven golden candlesticks. And in the end of that context, it goes on to describe the seven candlesticks which thou sawest, are the seven churches, and then he's going to proceed to state a message to each of those seven churches before he goes into the grander vision of the future events that we're about to unfold. But I want to draw on this statement for our lesson this morning, in which we want to simply say that the church is a lampstand. Notice here, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And so we want to build a lesson based upon the idea that the church is to be like a candlestick or a lampstand. And what could we draw from that? What conclusions could we reach from that word picture that we find there in the book of Revelation? A story told and some of the conclusions that we can reach by visualizing in our mind the church as a lampstand. Before we get into that, we stop here for just a minute to thank everybody for being present it's already been mentioned several times this morning what a beautiful Lord's Day morning we have in Middle Tennessee. What a great blessing it is to be able to be together, to worship God, to join together in, in His honor and praise. I hope we all understand that's our primary purpose this morning, that we've come to glorify our Father which is in heaven. We, we hope and pray that we all will be successful in accomplishing that. But also our purpose is that we might be encouraged, edified, built up, instructed in the things of the Word of God, Uh, And we pray that will be done too. Thanks to our visitors. We're grateful for all who've come our way. Please come back whenever you have a chance and ask any questions you have. If it's something that comes from your own private study of the Bible and you maybe uh, wonder about something that you haven't been able to quite understand, we'll be glad to study it with you. See if we can come to that understanding. Uh, Or if you see something this morning that we're doing that seems odd to you, maybe even something that you would initially disagree about, uh, ask us, and, and again, we'll sit down with our Bibles, and we'll seek out, make sure we have a, a, a true and right answer to any Bible question. So, if you have any questions, ask them. Thanks for coming this morning. Let's talk about the church as a lampstand. Uh, now, the first observation that we want to make about the church being a lampstand is that the, a lampstand has a very specific purpose. And that one specific purpose of a lampstand is to hold a lamp or a candle. And the idea of that is to facilitate enlightenment so that people can see, so that they can be illuminated, right? So don't don't lose this imagery. What would you have a lampstand for? What would you have a candlestick for? Well, it's to hold a lamp or a candle. Well, what do you, what's, what's that for? Well, so that it spread the light, so that you can see, so that you can be aware, so that you can be enlightened or illuminated, And, and so that's what the church is to be doing. Now the light in this instance is the light that Jesus brought into the world. In John chapter 8 verse 12, then spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So in the case of the, the light that is to shine from this lampstand, that light is the, is Jesus And the truth that he brought into the world, again, in the text that Gage read for us just a few moments ago, in John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. We don't have to be in darkness. We don't have to be in spiritual ignorance, is what Jesus is saying. You know, if you had a lampstand in a house, the house doesn't have to be dark, you can see uh, in a dark house with a, an efficient lampstand, you'll be able to see whatever you need to see. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am the light, and I've come into the world so that you don't have to be in darkness. You don't have to be in spiritual darkness. I would argue from this that our principal role is to hold forth that light of Jesus into a world that is filled with spiritual darkness. We're to hold forth the light that is Jesus and that is the truth, uh, that he proclaimed when he came to man. You know, I think that you would not perceive that if you observed the religious organizations of men in the world today, you would think, what is their purpose? Is their purpose to provide fun and games and recreation and entertainment? Or is it to show forth the light of Jesus? I I would argue that in in the case of a lot of churches, and uh, and we'll observe more of this as we go further into our study, you would not know that their purpose is to shine forth this light about Jesus, because they're involved in doing every other sort of thing, with very little emphasis on the truth about Jesus. And so again, the church is a lampstand, a lampstand has a single solitary purpose, that's to hold the light, to let the light shine, and that's what our purpose is. In conjunction with that then, as a lampstand, we need to be preaching the truth. I think that's so very, basically obvious. We need to be preaching the truth about Jesus, his doctrine, proclaiming that message to the world. That's what our job is. That's what our design is. In Second Timothy, chapter four verse two, Paul said to Timothy, "Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine." Paul encouraged Timothy, that encouragement would come to all of us, it would come to the church generally, that we need to be proclaiming the message, uh, uh, the Word of God. And we need to be doing that. We wouldn't use this expression, instant, in season, out of season. If we were to paraphrase that or put it in our own common vernacular, we would say something along the lines, preach it when it's popular, preach it when it's not, preach it all the time. Unfortunately, we live in a current world where it's not very popular to proclaim the truth. And, and people will belittle it, and even to some extent, they'll try to suppress it. There's, and there are places in the world where it's absolutely forbidden. I think that's going to increase where we live. That It's not politically correct, and ultimately, they'll try to, to squash the preaching of the truth from the Word of God. But our assignment here is clear. Preach the Word. Be instant, in season, out of season. We need to do that. We are a lampstand. As the Lord's church, we're to be showing forth that light. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse 13, Paul told Timothy again, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Most everybody agrees that when Paul told Timothy to give attendance to reading, he wasn't so much talking about his own personal reading of Scripture, but more here talking about the idea of public reading of Scripture. As you're well aware, people back then would not have had the luxury of their own private copy of the inspired Word of God. They were rare. Any copies that were made were handwritten copies, probably contained on rolled-up scrolls. And so access to the Word was much more limited to to them than it is to us And that being the case, when they came together, there was to be, Paul said, be sure to emphasize, give attendance to the public reading of the Scriptures. But he goes on to explain why. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And so, pay attention to the Scriptures. Be sure to read the Scriptures publicly. Let the Word get out. Because as you do that, you're going to be able to save yourself and them that hear you. What would be implied in that statement, though? That if he did neglect those things, then he would not be saved and the people who heard him would be. If there's not this emphasis on the word, the people are not going to hear what they need to know in order to be saved. People will not be saved if there's not this attendance to the word. So we need to be preaching the gospel. That's very important. But you know... In lots of religious groups, and I'm sad to say perhaps even among some of our own brethren, there's not much emphasis on the Scripture themselves. I read a couple of quotes recently that I thought were quite shocking coming from a preacher. He said, we try not, we try not to cool people off by fanning through the Scriptures. Do you get what he's saying there? In other words, here's your Bible, and so you're, you're turning from one scripture to another. You're fanning through the pages of the Bible. Oh, well, that's going to cool people off. People won't, uh, people won't take to that. We try not to cool people off by fanning through the scriptures. He's saying uh, we're, not, we're not going to overemphasize the scripture. We're not going to try to overuse the Bible. And in most denominational religious organizations, there is rare reference to the Word of God. You know that. You've talked to people. You may have experienced it yourself where perhaps not even a passing reference is made to the Bible when the preacher gets up to give his message. I want to tell you, I went to a meeting not so long ago, and the preacher used two verses of Scripture in a whole sermon. So I don't know that we're all that far behind them, we need to be preaching the Word. Our emphasis needs to be on the Word of God. We're a lampstand. We're to be holding forth the truth of Jesus. We've got to put our emphasis on the Word. Another preacher said our preaching needs to be more practical and less doctrinal. I don't know how you get that, do you? Uh, the doctrine of Christ is ultimately practical. Uh, we need to know the doctrine. Certainly we need to know how to put it into practice in our daily lives, but... How do you separate practicality from the doctrine of Christ? And the emphasis, let's talk about practical things. Let's don't talk about doctrine. That is just absolutely wrong. You know this quote from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning verse 10. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do it as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I don't know if you've ever looked at this passage, it's a familiar passage to us, but I don't know if you've ever looked at it in the sense that we're given authority to do one thing here. And our authority is to speak the the utterances of God. We're not authorized to be doing other things. And, And when you hear some speakers who quote men's writings and seldom reference the Bible, they're not adhering to what they're instructed to do here. Our authority is to be speaking, as it were, the utterances of God. We are not to base our lessons on human books and philosophies and the things that men have said. It has to be from the Word of God. So, if the church is a lampstand, then, you would clearly conclude that we have a mission to preach the truth about Jesus. Closely associated with that would be the necessity of defending the truth. As this lampstand that's illuminating, we should be defending the truth of God. And it's certainly clear that the Word of God is under attack. The Word of God is under attack from unbelievers. You know that that's the case. Uh, skeptics, doubters, critics are everywhere. Uh, and, but it's not new, of course. That's been going on forever and ever. Uh, men have tried to, tr- to disprove the Scriptures in a variety of ways. They've not been successful at all, obviously. But we still have to be on guard. We still have to be defending the truth against those kinds of enemies, the unbelievers. But sadly, even among those who would profess to be believers in God and His Word, there are people who are attacking it. Uh, so, uh, basically, from all fronts, the Word of God is under attack. We need to defend the truth. Jude, verse 3, famously says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once uh, delivered unto the saints, or once for all, as some version says. I want to draw your special attention to the idea of earnestly contending for the faith this This not just a casual defense. this is not just you know nonchalant attention to the the details of scripture and and defending it against those who attack it. but this talks about an intensity uh, and an urgency earnestly contend for the faith. Jude suggests that he had actually had in mind to write about something else, but it became necessary for him way back then in the first century. To write to them and say, you get busy. There's a, there's an attack underway. You earnestly contend, uh, for the faith. And we need that same sense of urgency to defend God's truth. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, you know this verse as well. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What's implied there is people are going to be asking. And you be ready. People are going to be challenging. Asking you why you believe what you believe. Be ready to explain that. Be be ready for defending God's truth. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Two things are mentioned there. One is have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So Paul is basically saying don't be involved in doing those kinds of things. And someone today might say, well, we don't do that. There may be people out there who are doing those. There may even be so-called religious groups out there who are doing those kinds of things. We don't do that. No, we don't do that. Well, good. That's good that we don't do that. No, we don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works. But there's another assignment here too, right? Not only don't do those things, but also reprove them. Uh, that's our assignment also. And so we've got to defend the truth against those who are misusing it and abusing it. Don't do evil things. Yes, right. But reprove those who do. Paul said simply in Philippians 1 verse 17, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul wrote those words from a Roman prison. Uh, But he wasn't cowed down by the harsh experiences that he had had that led him to that captivity. He said, I'm set. I'm ready. I'm going to defend the gospel. We need to be that way. But of course... That was nearer the end of his life, but even earlier. He that had been his pattern constantly. And notice in Acts chapter 17, when he's in the city of Thessalonica, Acts 17, verse 2, Paul no, as his manner was, this wasn't just once in a while, this was his continual manner. Paul as his manner was went into unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Paul didn't, that just wasn't lip service when Paul said, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. That was his continual mode of operation. Uh, And so he was one who clearly uh, defended the truth. He preached it and defended it. We need to do the same because that's what we are. We're the Lord's lampstand. And so we're supposed to be shining the light, preach the truth, defend the truth. But let me also suggest to you that we have to be living the truth. Uh, all, of the, all of the previous things that we've mentioned would be to no avail if we are not obviously living the truth of God. We can preach it, we can argue against those who abuse it, but if we're not living it ourselves, we're just wasting our time. You know, and and it's been explained so many times, that one example of evil in our lives can destroy years of doing the right thing. You can do the right thing over and over and over again. You can do it year after year after year. But all that has to happen is for someone to observe you just one time doing the wrong thing, and all of that good that you've done can will be disregarded and the thing that will stick in people's mind is the, is the one episode of wrong that they observed you to do. So we've got to, yes, let's proclaim the truth. Let's defend it against attacks, But we've got to live it or all the rest of that is in vain. And Christians, we've got to take this seriously. If you as a child of God are not living right, and if your friends and your neighbors, those around you, your co-workers, if they know your inconsistency... And, of course, the Bible word for that is hypocrisy. If they see that you're being a hypocrite about what you claim to believe and you're not really living it, then you might as well just keep your mouth shut because your message is wasted. It's ruined if you're not going to live it effectively in your life. Uh, This, again, is not a new problem. The people of God have had to be warned about this consistently. We start out by referencing Revelation, and our text about the lampstand is in Revelation. Go back to the message to those seven churches of Asia. for just, just look at a couple of them. Here's to the church at Thyatira in Revelation 2, verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into a great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Here the church at Thyatira apparently had, had uh, engaged a, a, an evil woman, an immoral person. And they were in big trouble. And the Lord was rebuking them for that uh, and, and indicated His impending punishment upon them if they would not do the right thing. So it's very possible for God's people uh, to fail in this role of the lampstand and by their evil deeds completely destroy anything else they might have accomplished by proclaiming God's truth. In Revelation 2, in that same context, uh, in Revelation 2, he addresses the church at Ephesus. And the church, the problem with the church at Ephesus seems to be that they were just sort of going through the motions. They weren't, they weren't really sincere or genuine. Uh, they were going through the motions. And the Lord had an issue with them about that. He says, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Notice, or else I will come quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. The church is a lampstand or a candlestick. But the Lord said, I'm just going to take your candlestick away. I'll take your lampstand away. If you're not going to do what you're supposed to be doing, and you're not going to do it sincerely and genuinely, then I'll just remove your lampstand. What would the Lord say about so many churches today? You think He's removed some lampstands or candlesticks? Do you think He would threaten us with that same sort of thing? You get busy. You do the right things. Or I will remove thy candlestick out of its place. What would he say to us? We've got to be living what we proclaim. We've got to we've got to be true and genuine, not hypocritical. And then, let's just end with this statement so well known from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's our job. As a congregation of God's people, that's our job. Let, let the light shine. As individual members of this local congregation, that's our job. Let your light shine. And I think it's a worthy question for us to ask. if, When people observe us, because we know that people are observing us, Right? There are people constantly who are seeing us. They see how we live. They see how we act, how we talk, how we dress. They see the places we go, the things that we do. In all of that, are we letting our light shine as a collective whole? Uh, Does this congregation of God's people, are we effectively shining the light? Are are we being a a good lampstand to illuminate this area around us? I hope that we are. And that needs to be our ambition. And each of us as individual members of this congregation need to be contributing to let that light shine. Are you doing your part? Are we working together as an effective whole to be a lampstand, to show the light, the truth about Jesus and His will to the world around us? That is the question. We need to be a good lampstand. What's your situation this morning? Are you a part of the work that God has given His people to do? Are you, a, are you a member of the body of Christ so that you can be participating in that role of shining the light and letting lost people know? If you're not a Christian, you're not in His body, the church. You're not a part of that effort to shine the light to others. Uh, you, need to, you need to make a decision to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and obeying the simple plan set forth in God's Word for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your past sins, so that you can be a, party, a part of His body, the church to have that hope of heaven and eternity. Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're subject to that invitation, we urge you to make a decision this morning. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been shining your light, you've not been living the way God wants you to live, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.